So, if, uh, if you've been with us uh, the last few weeks, we're, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. We go through it uh, passage by passage as we like to do things here. We want to hear who Jesus is and we want to hear week by week as the uh, Gospel of Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has told us uh, who Jesus is. And as, as we get into this particular passage with the great power and the the great power and the uh, uh, expelling of the demons and the, the townspeople who become, it's okay, the townspeople who become terrified at this site. There's a question that just kind of comes to my mind that I think is a framing question for all of us today. And that is this. Are you believing in a safe Jesus or a savior Jesus? Are you believing in a safe Jesus or a savior Jesus? And some of you may immediately be saying, well, aren't those the same thing? What's what's different about about those two kinds of Jesus? Well, it has to do with our recognition of Jesus' power. Last week, we, we, we were in the passage where the disciples were in the boat and the great storm came up and terrified their lives And then Jesus woke up and said to the wind and the waves, silent, be still. And immediately the the wind and the waves obeyed him. And what happened at the end of that story? The disciples were no longer afraid of the storm. They were now afraid of who was in the boat. And they say, who is this? You imagine their voice probably quavers a bit. Who is this that even the wind and the seas obey? And today, Jesus comes to the other side of the sea, and he is met by a terrifying demonic force, a force that is more powerful than any other demonic force that he has met so far. And his power, we see, has come to invade enemy territory. His power is an invasion into this world. And an invasion is a kind of power that is very threatening. It is an extremely strong power, and it is a power that demands awe, correct? Now, the problem that we have when we think of a safe Jesus versus a savior Jesus, the problem that we have is, do we want a Jesus who demonstrates, as he demonstrates in this passage, an uncontainable power? Do we want a Jesus of uncontainable, containable power. You see, we want a safe Jesus. We want a Jesus whose power is under our control, that we can pray, help us with this, that we can ask, bless us with this, that we can uh, have have him make our life a little bit easier, that maybe he could take the rain away from s'more church. That's that's the Jesus that we want, a safe Jesus that's power is there to comfort and serve, right? Do we want a power that invades? Do we want a power that commands with absolute authority? Do we want a power that changes, changes you? not just your wife, (laughs) changes you, says you cannot be this way. 
Do we want that kind of power? You see, that is an uncontainable power. That is a Savior Jesus. That is a Jesus that we come to in submission to his power. Most of the modern church has imbibed a safe Jesus. And it's captured in the the description of the religion of many of the youth of the last 10 and 20 years, which Christian Smith calls moral therapeutic deism. Moral therapeutic deism is the idea that church is all about learning your morals. Church is all about getting help for things that you need. And whenever it comes to Jesus, most of the time he's deistic. He's out of the picture. It's my life to do what I want with it. I call upon Jesus to be the, 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 uh, the vending machine of help when I need it. That's therapeutic. But for the most part, it's my life and he's out of the way. You see, the moral therapeutic deism is the religion of safe Jesus. And many have taken safe Jesus. But that's not the Jesus that we meet in the scriptures. And I appreciate a C.S. Lewis in his book, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He cast Jesus as a lion, And the name of this lion was Aslan. And there's this well-known passage, but an importantly perceptive passage of who Jesus is. Because as these young children are about to meet Aslan, and they discover that Aslan is a lion, one of them says, but is he he safe? And the answer to that from the, the character Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, C.S. Lewis recognized that the Jesus that saves is a Jesus of uncontainable power. He is a Jesus that is good, but he is not a Jesus that is safe. Today's passage, in fact, is going to show us through three demonstrations that a Jesus that saves us is a Jesus that is uncontainable by us. Do do you recognize the tension? If you want safe Jesus, you're not really following Savior Jesus. So we're going to see three demonstrations. And the reason that the thing that I want us to grapple with today, the thing I want you guys to deal with is in this passage to see it as a call to put your faith in the good but not safe Jesus and be taken over by his mighty power to save. That's what I desire for you today. So let us go through these three demonstrations That a Jesus that saves is a Jesus that is uncontainable by us. First of all, the Jesus that saves but is uncontainable, he he is the one who brings, uh, who shows his power in that the hopeless are rescued. The uncontainable power of Jesus is the power where the hopeless are rescued. The hopeless are rescued. So Jesus brings the kingdom of God 
to the Gentiles. He got in the boat last week. He says, I want, I want to go to the other side. And the other side of the Sea of Galilee is called the Decapolis, which is a, a word for ten cities. And these cities were all Greek cities. And so Jesus has taken the disciples and placed himself on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the place where the Gentiles were living. So if you, if you look at this map, you see where it says like the plain of Gennesaret. That, that's probably where he was teaching the parable of the sower. They cross the sea, and then if you see the, the, the area that says Gergasa or Kirsi, that's where they landed. This is Gentile, non-Jewish territory. Now, interestingly, for, the, for a long time, there's been a, de- a controversy about this city of the Gerasenes, or this place of the Gerasenes, because uh, archaeology only knew of a city named Gerasa, which was about 20 or 30 miles from the coast of, of the Sea of Galilee. But in excavations in the 80s, they came across a small town uh, that in Greek was called Kersi which probably back translates into Gerasa. And it is, in fact, located right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it is a, a Greek town, a Gentile town. So Jesus takes his boat, and it's like he's going straight there. This is where he wanted to land, right here in Gentile territory, right here at the beach of Gerasa. And there's a man who lives in the tombs, a man who is truly hopeless, who greets him. And he doesn't greet him like, oh, thank goodness you're here. He greets him to try and say, get off my beach. He is a terrifying presence that is trying to come to this uh, Jesus and the disciples and scare them away. And this person that is trying to scare them away is a a person that we discover is a a person with an unclean spirit. He is oppressed. He is uh, uh, filled with demons. And when we ask, and when Jesus asks, uh, what is your name? The, The answer from the demonic force inside of him is legion. Legion was the word for a Roman army of six or 10,000 soldiers. The idea is that an entire army of darkness is dwelling within this man. This is not a a single spiritual foe. This is a mighty warrior trying to stand his ground against Jesus. But in this passage, this confrontation, we see in, in some ways the good news brought into stark relief. Because the good news that we discover is Jesus comes to deal with this man, with, with the demoniac, is that Jesus rescues the hopeless. Jesus rescues the hopeless. And, and let's dwell upon how he rescues the hopeless. He rescues the hopeless because he comes with uncontainable grace and uncontainable power. Let's look at the the grace that Jesus brings to this man. The grace that Jesus brings is, you could describe it as both sovereign and extravagant. What what do I mean by extravagant? By extravagant, I mean that, that Jesus goes to an above and beyond end to save this man. If you look at the story of Mark of which we are in, 
uh, or, or the story, part of Mark that we are in, you recognize that Jesus, in the last uh, uh, verses, commanded his disciples to get in a boat and to go to the other side. And was that, was that an easy boat journey? That, that boat journey was, was terrifying. The disciples thought they were going to die in the storm. So they made their way across the Sea of Galilee, threatened by a gigantic storm, and they land here in, in this uh, Gentile territory. And when this story is done and Jesus gets back in the boat, only one person is saved by Jesus. This entire campaign, this entire effort is to save this one man. What a lot of energy. What an extravagant amount of effort to only come away with this one man rescued. But that's God's grace. It is extravagant. But also, I mean, I mean if, you, if, you, if, you, if you want to think about this story in, in the picture of another parable, this is truly Jesus leaving the 99, leaving the, the, the Jewish crowds who, who were loving him and who want to spend time with him and going to rescue the one who has found himself overwhelmed by great spiritual powers. And Jesus risks his life through storm and through spiritual battle to do so. This is the extravagance of grace. But it's also sovereign. It is a sovereign demonstration of grace. Jesus is clearly on a mission to go here. And what's so amazing about why are you going here? Because the land on this side of the sea, being Gentile territory, is what, what is understood in the Jewish mindset as unclean. Unclean meaning there is no reason for a Jewish person, a godly person, to be anywhere in this area. It is an un, unsaved, it is a degenerate, it is a reprobate place. It is unholy. It is not where any good God-fearing person should be. I mean, this place is unclean to the nth degree. It is possessed by a man with an unclean spirit who lives in the uncleanest of lands, the tombs, who is part of a region that is unclean because it is occupied by Gentiles, and it is a land that has been given over to the most unclean profession, pig farming. Pig farming was nothing a God-fearing Jewish person would be part of. Pigs were the unclean animal. In fact, if you still go to the Holy Land, you will never get a bacon cheeseburger. I try. They just look at you like you should leave. This is not a land of bacon and pork. This is a land where pigs do not belong, and yet Jesus, in his sovereign will, goes to the uncleanest of unclean places, and he goes as an invader. What we see here is Jesus invades the unclean places. He doesn't say, I cannot go there. He says, my will says, I'm going wherever I want to go to save whoever I want to save. That's sovereign. And it is also sovereign in the sense that he comes to save a man who cannot save himself. 
This man is so completely under the control, so completely overwhelmed with this demonic force that his own will and words are not his own. He is basically a body snatched to serve the evil one's purposes. He is a puppet. He can't come to Jesus. He doesn't have the will to come to Jesus. All he has is the will to fight Jesus. Does that stop Jesus from saving him? No. Jesus shows us that the inability of a person, the inability of you and I to truly come to Jesus in faith is no barrier to his grace bringing us to him. This is sovereign grace. Paul describes these, these, uh, these events powerfully in, in the theological terms of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, Paul recognizes that spiritually, we who are far from God are just as dead, just as unable to respond to the gospel as this demoniac. This demoniac is a picture of the moral inability that all of us in sin have towards the gospel. But does that stop God from saving? No. Because God, who is rich in mercy, who is the one who speaks life to death and makes life win, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you, we have been saved. So we see this uncontrollable grace, but then also there is such uncontainable power. I mean, Jesus comes and expels this army who is ready to put up a fight with just a word. In, in the parallel account of Matthew, he just says to Legion, go. And this entire army of demons immediately goes on retreat, exits the man, goes into the pigs, and departs from the region. You see, Jesus' power only needs a word to deliver the man. This is the uncontainable power. Jesus is able to break the bonds of death and give new life. That's Savior Jesus. The man is fully rescued. I love verse 15. Look at, at verse 15, how it describes the man at, at the end of this story. It says that the man, the one who had had the legion, was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. That's, that's the full rescue of this man. He is in control of his body. He is sitting like a disciple at Jesus' feet. He is clothed and he is in his right mind. For the first time, this man was free. That's the power. This is the gospel, friends. No one is outside of Jesus' grace and power to save. I mean, what better news could we have as we try and reach people who have, have found that they don't think they need Jesus? We, we live in a world and a culture that is constantly thinking, we don't need Jesus, and they are building their houses and their lives further and further into the unclean places. 
But we have a gospel that can invade the most unclean places and can bring life into anyone's life. No one is outside of Jesus' grace and power to save. So the hopeless are rescued by Jesus' uncontainable power. But the second demonstration that a Jesus that saves us is a Jesus that is uncontainable by us is a little bit different. It is this, that uncontainable power, when it is met by the comfortable, are repulsed. The comfortable are repulsed by the uncontainable power. So this is such good news. This man has been rescued from these demons. But the townsfolk come And they start to explore what's going on. And we are told their reaction was they were afraid. They were afraid. Why? Why would these townspeople be afraid when they saw a miracle of deliverance done for one of their people? Why would they be afraid? We'll go back and look at verse 4 with me. This is the story of of how this man had lived for most of the townspeople's existence. He had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. So so you see, these townspeople knew this, this man. They had a lot of experience with this man. And their solution for this man was somebody would go out and put shackles on him and put a chain on him and control him. And then he would break that chain. And so they would ask the the blacksmith, build us a bigger chain. And they would go out with a bigger chain. And this would go on and on and on. These people knew this demoniac. They had chained him. They had shackled him. And they knew how powerful he was because he kept breaking their best chains. And now they're standing in front of someone who is more powerful than them, one who was able to take control of the demon. They recognize Jesus is more powerful than the one they could not contain, right? This one is a lot scarier than that one in their mind, right? And so we see right here, C.S. Lewis is right. A Jesus that saves is good, but he is not safe. Right? That kind of power that they already know they can't control, that's not safe. So what do they do? Look at the saddest verse in the story. Verse 17 they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They begged Jesus, leave. Can you imagine Jesus showing up, demonstrating his goodness in delivering the demoniac, and you saying, get away. And yet that is what they did. Why? Why do they beg him to leave? Verse 16 gives us the answer. Look at verse 16. 
Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. You see, the story is not just the demon-possessed man is okay. The story is also the pigs are gone. And so, this is the rub. The townspeople lost their pigs. Now, uh, we need to talk about the pigs. So, um, the pigs are an area of concern. Uh, in a lot of, of people's treatment of this passage. I mean, we've, we've grown up with Charlotte's Web, and, oh, not yet, not yet. We've grown up with Charlotte's Web, and, you know, some pig, you know, pigs are beautiful. Uh, pigs are sweet. Pigs can be heroes. Uh, and, and we have to be on. I mean, and, and no jokes aside, pigs were part of the livelihood of this culture. It was expensive for this culture to suddenly see 2,000 pigs taken from them. They, 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 they just had, uh, I, I don't know how long those pigs were supposed to uh, support them, but they just had that zeroed out. So, so there is a, a, a lot of concern about the pigs. And, and I mean, the, the pig probably gets the worst rap in the whole, whole story. Now you can show. I, I found this little cartoon, which, which kind of goes through the animal kingdom's uh, joy of serving Jesus and, you know, you have, uh, you have the uh, camel who got to bring him gifts. And, and you have the donkey who says, I'm going to carry him. And then you have the fish who says, I'm going to help him pay his taxes. And, and the birds, I'm going to quench his thirst. And um, uh, the, the ducks, or, or, or the, 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 I'm going to, to feed him. And the, the sheep, I'm going to warm him. And then the little pig shows up on the side. I'm going to let him fill me with demons. Then I'm going to jump off a cliff. Wait, wait, wait. What? So you, you can imagine it, it, he got the bad he got the bad draw, right? Pigs got the bad draw uh, in, in this story. We have to recognize a couple things. First of all, to any Jewish reader, the, destru- the the deliverance of the demoniac and the destruction of these pigs is like the best story, right? This is kind of like in uh, Jurassic Park where the, you can finally get to see the big T-Rex chomp on somebody, it's extra good that it was a lawyer, right? <laughs> that that kind of makes it even better. So for a Jewish person who doesn't like pigs, uh, the idea that pigs are destroyed, you know, this is like, this is a, a wonderful story. But but to be uh, serious and to be kind of in our, in our situation, we do have to look at the story and be precise about what, what happened. First of all, the demons were the ones that destroyed the pigs. They begged to go to the pigs. Jesus had no instructions passed, depart to the pigs. It was the demons that decided to run the pigs into the, the, the water and die. That was the pigs' control, or that was the demons' control. But you can see something about what those demons' purpose and intent was for the man. Because their destruction of the pigs is only what they were preparing to do to the man. So the man's life was going to die. The pigs died because of the demons taking control, not because Jesus sent them into the ocean. But second, the townspeople gave Jesus no opportunity 
to, to show his goodness to them in other ways. I mean, I, I don't know what Jesus would have done if he had stayed, but I expect if Jesus had stayed and was there to minister, nobody would have felt like they were a loser for having had Jesus stay with them. But they didn't give Jesus an opportunity to show the good that he had in store for them, right? So, so, so the story is, is, is truncated on their, account, on their account. And that is because the most important thing that is actually revealed here about the, the pigs and the people's reaction is that Jesus exposed a, a nasty societal idol. That's what is really happening here. Jesus exposed a nasty societal idol. These people valued their pigs more than the man. That's the gist of their fear and their desire for him to depart. These people valued their pigs more than than the man. You see, what we have here is Jesus has invaded a territory of people where they were so comfortable living with the demoniac suffering that they were repulsed immediately when his healing cost them their pigs. Nobody cared about the demoniac anymore. They cared more about the pigs, right? That no, nobody had a relationship or loved or saw the demoniac as a, as a human being to, to have pity towards because their reaction had absolutely not a single beat of compassion or happiness that he was okay. All it cared about was, what about my pigs? Right? And so what we have here is we have a people who had become comfortable with a demoniac. So much so that it meant nothing to them except that it cost them You see, this is the idol of being comfortable. Being comfortable with the status quo. They were comfortable. They made life work. And they were okay with it. So much so that they were upset at the moment it was disturbed by costing them pigs. So I want us to look at this idol that is exposed here, this idol that we call being comfortable. There are kind of three uh, dangerous things that come when we become very comfortable with the status quo. The first is it desensitizes us to suffering. You, You see, these people had lived with their only occupation, somebody take out a chain, somebody take out a shackles. They had become accustomed to living in a world where this man's screams filled the night. Right? This is a world that they were comfortable with. He was screaming, he was bound in chains. But this was just part of life. Sorry for him, it's part of life. And we know that, that they were desensitized to it because when the, the, the man was made well and the pigs were lost, they had no sensitivity towards the man. The second thing that shows up when we uh, just become comfortable with the status quo is it depraves our values. It depraves our values. 
I mean, the shocking thing ought to be for us. Who in the world thinks pigs and people are the same in value? Who in the world would ever count the value of a person according to pigs? But that is exactly what this culture, who had become comfortable with this situation, had done. 2,000 pigs is more than that man's life. You see, that is a depraving of their values because people are precious. They are made in the image of God. The loss of these pigs is nothing compared to the incalculable value of rescuing this man's soul. But they had become so economically driven that the value of the man was determined by the number of pigs. And that is depraved values. But the third dangerous part of being comfortable is that it deceives us of our need. It deceives us of our need. Did these townspeople need Jesus? Did did these townspeople need the good news? Did these townspeople need the power of Jesus in their life? Yes. But what did they see? They saw a Jesus that ruined comfortable. And because it ruined comfortable, they said, leave us, depart from us. We have no need for you. The townspeople here on the other side of the sea represent exactly what Jesus described in the parable of the sower, which we looked at last month, where where, where we are told the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Are these townspeople not gripped by the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things, or the cares of the world? All they can do is think, my pigs, my livelihood. And I'm not saying those are non-issues. But that is, those issues are so ultimate in their view that they choke out and exclude and send away the only hope that they could ever possibly need, Jesus This is the consequence of being comfortable, of having the idol of I'm comfortable with the way things are. You see, their choice of safety cost them the Savior. Now here's the part where it gets stickier. What evil is our society comfortable with? for the sake of protecting our pigs. Do we have pigs? Yeah. So this isn't a complete list, but here are some of our pigs. We live in a culture that prizes sexual liberty, sexual freedom. The cost of that pig is abortion. We are also a, a culture that, that values easy access to guns. The cost of that pig is lots of gun violence. We are a culture 
that has been built on, on privileges. And the cost of that? Racial inequalities. We are a culture that has become addicted to pornography. And that is creating human trafficking. Slavery in our century is getting worse than it has ever been. And it is coming through our our, uh, uh, victimless crimes of pornography use. Great affluence, the same time that we live in a world of great hunger. It bothers me, but if you took the revenue that went to like Disney World or Las Vegas for, for like one day, you could probably remove hunger. But these are our pigs. Every one of these, and I could have gone on for a lot more, are kingdom issues. You see, when Jesus lands on, this, on, this, on, that, on that shore and he brings the gospel, he brings the gospel to change not just the people, but to change the culture which takes life and devalues it because of their own comfort. And so these are kingdom issues. And as much as I would like to be a preacher of a gospel in the sky, if we're going to preach a true gospel, the gospel has political consequences. The gospel is political. Our gospel is Jesus is Lord. Not just of the hereafter, but the here and now. And so this is one of the hardest core values that we will have to live out. At Renew, we are kingdom-centered. Because here's probably something you might notice if you're you're discerning. There isn't a political platform that exists today that addresses all of those issues. There are political platforms that choose some of those issues, and there are political platforms that choose the other issues. But there is no political platform that takes all of those issues. And so we need to recognize as we are kingdom-centered that Jesus is neither left nor right. He is Lord. He is not safe to any party. That, That is why we cannot say that Jesus belongs to one party or another. He is not safe because Jesus is going to call us to change the entire culture to value life. Not just the constituents that one half or the other choose. This is difficult. But as we we grapple with the kingdom, as we grapple with being kingdom-centered, we find it is harder and harder to just check a box. So what? If we are Jesus' people, our politics should be conformed not to party platforms, but to the one who is good, not safe. What does that mean? That means it's hard. That means it's not easy. That means there is no default mode in our, in our, in our political engagement, in our voting, in the, in, the, in the cases that we, that we deal with. 
And so I think one of the questions as Jesus' uncontainable power comes to the comfortable is first, how comfortable have we become? How many pigs have we started to cherish? And the question of going forward is, are you willing to live in the good but unsafe space that works with and also rebukes both the right and the left for the kingdom? That's what I think comes from being from allowing Jesus to make you uncomfortable, to recognizing Jesus is good but not safe. The third, then, the third uh, um, demonstration that a Jesus that saves us is a Jesus that is uncontainable by us is that the renewed become rescuers. The renewed become rescuers. Let's read verses 19 through 20 again to, 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 to end the story with the man who has been delivered. We're told, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. You see, Jesus prepares to depart, and maybe from a perspective, the townspeople and their comfort won, except Jesus left a witness. Jesus left one who was still there to bring the good news of Jesus. This uncontainable power of the gospel is is shown in the new life of this man. He goes from being a demoniac to now being a disciple of the Lord. This man shows us what the gospel does. He is truly made new, right? The man is made new. He goes from living his days in the tombs to now go home and live amongst your friends. What a beautiful picture of how the gospel truly renews. And what is he renewed to do? He's renewed to be a rescuer. Jesus doesn't take him with him because he wants him to go and proclaim how much the Lord has had mercy upon you. Go and tell others what the Lord has done for you. And so he goes, and he goes with such zeal that he crosses this entire unclean land of the Decapolis so that Mark reports, everyone marveled. Everyone marveled at the story of Jesus upon the lips of the man that used to be the demoniac. You see, the uncontainable power of Jesus goes everywhere that we take his gospel. We we might think, wow, I wish we could have the uncontainable power of Jesus, but but Jesus is, is in heaven and it's just us. But what does Paul tell us about the gospel in the book of Romans 1.16? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Beloved, The gospel in us is the uncontainable power of Jesus. 
And it is changing you by degree and by degree into the likeness of his son. And at the same time, the gospel in you is the uncontainable power to take into the world to bring change and hope to a world who doesn't even know the meaning of those words anymore. That is the gospel. It is the uncontainable Jesus that we share with a world just as shackled as the demoniac. So let me bring it back full circle. Are you believing in a safe Jesus? Or a savior Jesus? Consider the difference between the demoniac and the townspeople. One had his life completely changed. The others remained comfortable and safe. But at what cost? What did their comfort and safety cost? They lost knowing Jesus. They lost having a world shaped by the goodness of Jesus. What are you choosing? What are you choosing? Beloved, put your faith in the good, but not safe Jesus, and experience his mighty power change everything. Amen?